When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, keeping your sports turf in top condition at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Indeed it is on a Monday night. Always great to have your company on the first serve. We do talk at the world of tennis uh, right across the entire SEN uh, radio network. So with a change of uh, daylight saving uh, for those around the country, hopefully you've adjusted the clock and are tuning in uh, to us. Always a big hello to our SENZ audience across uh, the ditch a little later on a Monday night. The best way, I reckon, if you can't get near a radio and if you haven't done it already, is simply download the uh, SEN app and you can carry the first serve everywhere. You can also contribute uh, to this program, whatever you want to put on the tennis agenda, whether it's a domestic uh, global, anything you want to pass on, any good stories out there, anything you want to put on the agenda, as I mentioned. Harcourt's open line, one three hundred seven three six seven three six For all things real estate, speak to Harcourt's. You'll move your Harcourt's. If you prefer to text tonight, you can do so on the 40 Wings Temper text, 0433981116. The all-new Temper Pro, it's Temper's most adaptive mattress ever. It's here, 40 Wings, serious about sleep. Uh, Brett Phillips in the chair, our 15th year of doing this program. If you're discovering us for the first time, you can uh, check us out during the week as well, thefirstserve.com.au with our team of writers putting together some great content. Our team of podcasters, we do have an audio library here at The First Serve, so whatever sort of takes your fancy, you can just pick and choose. We're going to bring you, in fact, a little bit of our uh, content tonight. Uh, David Wagner, who is the current world number three in wheelchair tennis, he had a long time rivalry uh, with uh, Dylan Alcott. It's a great chat on our podcast called The Push, which is our dedicated wheelchair podcast, a space that is really growing. Uh, that has, uh, of course, been uploaded today. You can listen to the full version. We're going to bring you a little bit of David Wagner a little bit uh, later on. Speaking of David's, a man born and bred in Tassie, David McPherson, well known to all of you who are right in the you know the nuts and bolts of tennis, from Launceston, who uh, got to world number one in doubles, but has probably made a bigger name for himself as a coach, a successful coach of the famous Bryan brothers, and in later years John Isner, who of course uh, recently uh, bowed out of tennis at the uh, U.S. Open. So we do have a a dedicated podcast called Tassie Talk, uh, which we've launched a couple of editions uh, for the uh, Tasmanian tennis community. It's a great chat with uh, David uh, McPherson. His brother Paul also works for the ATP in the media area, so the McPherson's with a long-time association in tennis. And going to listen a little bit later on to Tony Pye. So he's come out from Barcelona. He's the head coach of Paddle Gold Coast at KDV Sport, a venue It'll be well known to many of you out there as uh, Paddle looks to continue to grow here in Australia and really trying to get our players up to uh, another level to really compete on that uh, global stage. So Tony Pye, part of our Paddle Powwow podcast, uh, to join us uh, a little bit later on. Lachlan Pugh will be along with our college segment. And tonight, Eddie Winter, 
uh, from SA, who's recently joined uh, Pepperdine and has been playing this year on the ITF Tour, the uh, the ATP Challenger Tour, has built a bit of a ranking, but has decided to park that for a little bit and go down the college path. And boy, oh boy, I sat with uh, our two coaches who host our Junior Journey podcast, uh, which is uh, extremely popular out there amongst uh, players and, and parents going down this path of potentially uh, professional tennis uh, long-term in the performance area. Uh, Betty Sikolowski and Michael Legazzo had a, a great catch-up with them uh, earlier today, and we discussed a lot about this whole college pathway. And the easy throwaway line is that it's just a no-brainer. Now, I, I understand it doesn't appeal to everyone, but surely it's got to come into everyone's calculation now. If you're If you're stepping into the performance area of tennis and – you really want to give this a go, then it has to be a factor that you strongly, strongly consider. And we obviously have our regular segment with Lockie every week, uh, Play USA, our dedicated uh, podcast around college. The next edition will be out uh, this week. You can take a listen uh, to that. And it's not a sell job on uh, our behalf. It's just to educate everyone out there and speak to not only the Aussies who are experienced, but the coaches uh, and and others who are involved in that college space as to what it's all about and the benefits. So for me, I, I just think it's becoming more of a no-brainer than it ever has been, uh, but it is in the eye of the beholder. one 736 on uh, the text. Normally on a Monday, we're sort of wrapping everything up, but at, at the moment in the Asian swing, we're in the middle of tournaments. And we had Peter Johnston on the show uh, last week, a tournament director of Zhuhai, who had, of course, the uh, Tuesday, was it the Wednesday start, Tuesday finish. And obviously we've got Beijing on at the moment. We've got Shanghai at 1,000 level for the men coming up a little bit later on this week. But the midweek starts and the Tuesday-Wednesday finals, which are a little different, uh, there's no doubt. So at the moment in... Uh, in Beijing at the China Open. Uh, Carlos Elcarez, who brought up his 60th win, if you don't mind, on tour over the weekend. Uh, first time he's playing in China. So China hasn't had any tennis, top flight tennis, due to COVID and obviously the aftermath of that for a good four years. So they haven't seen Carlos Elcarez, Yannick Sinner, Holger Rune actually up close. So Elcarez to play Casper Rube in the quarterfinals of the China Open later on tonight. Grigor Dimitrov to play Yannick Sinner, Alexander Zverev and Nicholas Jarry and Hugo Humbert and also Daniil Medvedev have been the uh, the two earlier matches. Now, I can give you uh, the results of uh, both of those and how that's looking. In fact, the uh, match between Zverev and Jarry is in progress at the moment after the big Chilean, who's had a terrific year from outside the top 150 to be inside the top 30, uh, took the second set tiebreaker Seven points to five. It's very on serve, uh, 2-1 in the third. So that is certainly going the distance. And in the match a little earlier, Daniil Medvedev, who beat our very own Alex Dimonor across the weekend, uh, got through in three against Hugo Humbert, 6-4, 3-6, one to make it through to the semifinals. So uh, the China Open is very much live. And this, of course, leading into the Masters 1000 in Shanghai, which is a big event. No Novak Djokovic, which is a little disappointing for the Chinese fans, but... Uh, Djokovic, as we know, at this uh, stage of his career, 
He's certainly limiting the number of tournaments he plays. He'll certainly play Paris, I would suggest, the 1,000, obviously the ATP finals, and whether he takes any part in the Davis Cup in Malaga. We'll have to wait and see. Doubles in that tournament as well. We're also in Kazakhstan, so we've got a couple of semifinals coming up tonight. They're a day ahead in Astana. So Sebastian Korda to take on Medvedic, the young boy from Serbia, who, uh, let me have another crack at that. Uh, That is a a hard word to say. Thank you. Thank you. What time is it? It's only just after eight o'clock. You thought I heard a couple of sherry's uh, coming in here tonight. Look, this is a young man who's actually uh, started to really uh, get some good results on the tour. I got a wild card and he took a really good scalper earlier this year, which I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but... Uh, of course, his uh, first name, Hamad Medvedic. That is hard. Got to get my tongue around that. Let's hope he doesn't make the semis of the Australian Open. We're doing ball by ball radio. Uh, Sebastian Offner will take on Adrian Manorino. He is my favourite. Uh, the Frenchman, the lefty. Uh, Offner's come off beating Dominic Team, which is a great result. And Manorino uh, took care of uh, Rodinov, who was a qualifier, who uh, got through, knocked out the top, uh, the second seed in Sebastian Byers. So... Uh, Kazakhstan to be decided, and uh, John Piers and Matej Pavic are playing in the doubles semi-final of that particular tournament. Now I can uh, bring you a result that they have got through to the final. So we we know the last two years John Piers has had a lot of uh, doubles partners. Uh, Pavic obviously is a terrific player, the Croatian. With Nikola Mektic, they won all those titles a couple of years ago. Rose to the top of the doubles rankings. And uh, it's Piers and Pavic, the two Ps, who got through tonight 6-2-6-1, defeating Hase and van der Schanschel, the uh, Dutch pairing at the uh, Astana Open. So what under John Piers, who's certainly in the twilight of his career, but uh, still contending for titles. Uh, Shanghai. Now, there are a lot of Australians uh, in qualifying. We've got quite a few in the main draw, but uh, there's been quite a few in qualifying today. And this is huge for a lot of our Aussies who are outside, uh, in some cases, the top 200. To get these qualifying wins at a a 1,000 event is pretty significant. So Dane Sweeney has been able to win today, 7-6-6-2. Mark Polmans, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, who hopefully is going to get back towards having another crack at the top 100, 3-6-6-3-7-6. He's got through. James Duckworth has got through, 6-4-6-3. Unfortunately, Omar Jasika. Uh, went out, one six five seven. he went down. I'll bring you a few more of the Aussies as they uh, certainly uh, come to hand. So uh, that is uh, Shanghai. So the Asian swing, we're in the middle of a few tournaments. Obviously, uh, for the women across uh, the weekend, we had uh, a couple of events uh, wrapped up. I'll get to Daria Seville in just a moment, but we had the event, of course, the WTA 500 in uh, Tokyo. Uh, Veronica Kuda Medeva, who's not had the year she would have liked after getting into the top 10 at the back end of uh, last year, but proving uh, too strong to defeat Jessica Bagula in that final. Uh, 7-5, uh, 6-1 to take out the 500 in uh, Tokyo. And uh, it was a win for On Jabur in Ningbo in uh, China. She, uh, of course, defeated young uh, Schneider, who has played a lot of college uh, tennis, a Russian background, lefty. We saw her at the Australian Open a little earlier this year. She certainly uh, got some talent, but uh, Ons uh, winning that title at 250 level. And, of course, all the players 
have uh, headed to the WTA 1000, uh, the uh, the China Open. Daria Seville, uh, significant for Dasha last night to beat a top 100 player for the first time in a little while. We know she's been coming back from the knee about uh, we're just, we're just after midway uh, through uh, this year, but has been beaten today by Annalena Kalanina, who uh, got uh, through 6-2, 7-6. So it was seven points to five in that second set tiebreaker. And, uh, of course, she was a surprise finalist in, I think it was Rome a little earlier this year, that uh, really late final against Elena Rybakina. Uh, she had to pull up uh, injured in that match, but she's a much improved player. We didn't quite see her elevating herself to um, uh, be at the ranking that she is. So, yeah, it's a big tournament. Uh, Sabalenka, the top seed. Igor Fiontek is playing. Uh, Azarenka, Vondrasova, uh, Maria Sakari in some really good form at the moment. Kvitova, uh, Jess Pagula, who uh, comes off making that uh, final, as I mentioned, uh, and Elena Rybakina. I think the interesting story in tennis uh, over the weekend has been the defection of uh, Wim Fassett, uh, who was the coach of young uh, Wing Zhang, the young Chinese player, 20 years of age, 23 in the world. We saw her have a really good run at the US Open. And this has been a sort of a small collaboration over the last uh, few months. And we know that previously he was with uh, Naomi Osaka before she took a break for mental health reasons and then became pregnant and has had a child uh, just recently. But we've known all along that Naomi had been earmarking the Australian summer uh, to come back. So she, she looks like she's taking it really seriously. And this is going to be a, um, a full-blown assault to come back to professional tennis her and Wim Fassett had a terrific uh, partnership, one of uh, five world number ones that he has coached across his career. This is a man that got to about 1,200 in the singles rankings going back a number of years ago, but has made his name as a coach, uh, as a ranker, Halep, uh, Kerber. Uh, he's coached plenty of Kleisters uh, back in the day, uh, but it's the, I suppose the way this has been done, which has really upset the Chinese player who was very strong in her comments across the weekend, feeling a little betrayed. She knew there was a, a discussion uh, going on at the US Open that uh, Wim Fassett had had contact with the Osaka camp. Uh, nothing was better down exactly, but he has uh, uh, basically broken the contract, uh, although it's hard to keep up, isn't it, with the amount of coaching changes in uh, in women's tennis. And uh, if, you, if you look at uh, Wim's uh, resume, it's long, and he's coached a lot of players across the journey. That's just how women's tennis uh, tends to work in terms of uh, relationships and the longevity of those uh, relationships. But he's, uh, well, gone back to Osaka. A lot of people would say you can't blame him because there's you know, still obviously a lot to achieve for Naomi. But how she's going to come back, what sort of player she's going to come back is, is fascinating. I mean, a winner of four majors, at one point in time, her power was extraordinary and she was a step ahead in that area from all her contemporaries but we know the battles that Osaka has had of being in the spotlight uh, being able to just get herself in the right headspace to play professional tennis but this time she comes back as a mum with I'm sure a different perspective as well and he has had success with players wherever uh, he has gone so not a great situation for young Zhang of China to lose a coach of the calibre of Wim Fassett and the way that's been done. Uh, but certainly for Naomi Osaka, uh, this was a really good collaboration before she did decide to uh, take a break. Uh, your thoughts on the Harcourt's open line, one 736 736 40 Wings temper text. You can get involved in that tonight, 0433 98 11 16. So there is uh, plenty happening 
uh, certainly from a ATP WTA point of view uh, in China. That's where we're going to be parked uh, for a big part of October. And then, of course, uh, launching into all the finals uh, come November of the Davis Cup, the Billie Jean King Cup. We've still got the Paris uh, Masters 1000 to come. The ATP finals, we know the next-gen finals will be in Jeddah. The WTA finals will be in Cancun in uh, Mexico. So there is still a big part of the tennis season to play out. We'll uh, take a break. We've got plenty to come. Happy for you to weigh in. Anything you want to talk about in the world of tennis, you can log on to thefirstserve.com.au. Check out our socials as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. You will not miss a beat in the world of tennis. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back the first serve on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips in the chair. Great to be able to talk uh, the world of tennis. You can do so on the Harcourt's open line. You can call us live, 1300 736 736. 40 Winks Temper Text 0433981116. You know our man Hamad. I'm going to see if I can play this right near the uh, microphone. I'll see if it uh, picks it up here, uh, Jules. Here we go. Hang on. This is our man. Hamad Medjedovic. We picked that up. Hamad, thank you very much. He said it for me. Boy, oh boy, I got to get used to him. He's 120 in the world, 20 years of age. One on the text, uh, guys, I'm a massive Thomas Mahaj fan. And I'm proud and happy to say that he won the Orleans uh, Challenger, the 125. He did on the weekend, uh, Thomas. I was lucky enough to get to know him. He offers uh, player box tickets for all these matches. He even invited me to Wimbledon. I've even got to know his family. I run a fan page on Instagram, at Thomas Mahaj fan page. You can look that up. So happy for him. Such a fantastic bloke. And now in the top 100, kind regards, Ashley from uh, Kilmore. Ashley, thank you for sending that through. And as you know, uh, anyone that's listened to this show for quite some time and across all our uh, platforms that we talk tennis, we do like to expose all the tears of the sport, the journey Personally, for me, fascinates me uh, all the the sacrifice that, and the journey that these players go on with the dream of, you know, being at the top echelon where it's you know it's only afforded to uh, a few. In fact, at that tournament, uh, Ashley the Aussie, uh, JP Smith, who also has his own uh, ex um, fan base now, Twitter, if you still haven't caught up. Uh, the Smithy-Naders, uh, Paula George, who was on board with us uh, at the Davis Cup with Connor Joyce a couple of weeks ago uh, reporting in, does a beautiful job living in the north of England, but is a massive fan of JP, and he and Henry Patton were runners-up in the uh, doubles of that Orleans Challenge. Now, I was looking at some of the footage. I don't think, uh, Ashley, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've seen a challenger better presented than that tournament. I was watching, thinking I'm watching an ATP event. Nice indoor stadium, full house. We know the French love their tennis. They're going to rock up to all uh, tiers, ITF, Challenger, all the way up to the, the top part of the tour. But it was professional. It, it looked fantastic. I'm sure there'd be plenty of Challenger players out there who'd love to play in that sort of environment on a uh, on a week-to-week uh, basis. Keep your thoughts coming through. Brett, I so advise every Australian tennis player to check out the Mandisa song, strongly via either YouTube or Spotify, then learn every word of this particular song and sing it out loud. Then learn every other song by Mandisa and 
singing those songs out loud. Those songs will help every Australian tennis player like they helped me, Jason from Merrillbark. I will go on during the break. Uh, Jason, have a little look and report back to you. Thank you for sending that through. And if you might just log on and have a look. Uh, Organisers hope to see the Tennis Australia Talent Combine become a real big event every year on the calendar for our young juniors and aspiring professionals. We had Steve Merker uh, from Mackay uh, last week on the show. We touched on this uh, briefly, and this was, of course, at the NTA in Brisbane over the last week. Uh, Organisers have labelled it a major success. 16 athletes aged between 13 and 15 took part in the four-day event, which concluded, uh, of course, uh, late last week at the Queensland Tennis Centre. There were also uh, education sessions for parents uh, and private coaches across a uh, jam-packed schedule. Uh, Ben Pine, the Tennis Australia National Player Support Program Manager, quoted as saying it's been a great event. It's uh, been great to see all the private coaches, parents and players coming into one place to train and really test themselves against each other. We had a lot of fun too. We've done a high ropes course, lots of challenging things like an escape room. It's been great to see everyone out there competing and really working together to see Australian tennis really grow. Now, we know that you know footy around this time has a sort of a draft combine where you put through a lot of uh, you know, psychological, physical uh, testing uh, as a potential a draftee into the game. This is the first time that Tennis Australia has run a, a talent combine. If you're involved in that, whether it's as a player, as a coach, as a parent observing, and you'd like to give us any insights, 0433981116 or 1300736736. But we'll uh, certainly follow that up over uh, the next uh, few weeks. So just a little wrap of uh, some of the uh, the Aussies on tour in the last week. Uh, we know that there's a bit going on in the Asian swing. Uh, Alex Dimonor, of course, had that uh, good first up win at the uh, China Open, but then uh, went down to Daniil Medvedev. So uh, Medvedev, after being beaten by Dimonor a couple of times in the last 12 months, has been able to get the last two back on Demon, including, of course, that uh, match at the uh, US Open. Uh, Astra Sharma, she had a win in doubles uh, across uh, the weekend. Uh, so a good result for Astra, 28 years of age, uh, teaming up with uh, Ukraine's uh, Valeria Strakova to win the ITF uh, 40K that was in uh, Serbia. So it's her 10th career doubles title, her third of uh, this year. Uh, Daria Seville, as I mentioned uh, last night, uh, scoring her first top 100 win on the hard court in more than 12 months. She beat the world number 90, Katarina Siniakova, to reach the second round at the uh, WTA 1000. Unfortunately, did bow out today. Ellen Perez, uh, the 27-year-old, uh, along with uh, Nicole Malika Martinez uh, winning their first match at the China Open uh, today. But they, that pair did advance to the doubles uh, semifinals at the 500 in Tokyo. Uh, John Pierce, as we've mentioned, is through to the final in Astana, which is great news. We've touched on JP Smith. Uh, Matthew Delavadova, who we've had on this uh, program uh, earlier this year before he has uh, jetted across uh, the globe. The 23-year-old is trying to make some progress in the game. It's tough uh, down in the... Uh, lower tiers, uh, lower tiers, single semi-final in Monastir. Um, uh, Thomas uh, Braithwaite, we've been following uh, his performances, uh, no relation uh, to the great Daryl. Gee, he was out in full force. Uh, Daryl uh, booked Daryl Braithwaite on the weekend. I think he did about <laughs> 10 functions from what I could see. Uh, the 23-year-old, a doubles finalist at the 15K tournament in uh, Monastir. And Hayden Jones, who is uh, certainly... One of our promising juniors, along with his uh, sister Emerson, who's still what, only 14, maybe she's just turned 15, 
have to double check the birth certificate, but there is something about the uh, the Jones family, good uh, tennis and sporting genes. But Hayden at 17, winning the boys' singles title at the uh, J200 in Korea. So he's claimed his third and biggest junior title without losing a set, also advancing to the doubles uh, semifinals. That's a good result for Hayden and Emerson going nicely as well. We've had both of them on the program and we're certainly following uh, their journey with plenty of interest. So the Australian Pro Tour is back this week uh, in Cairns, right up there in uh, the north of Queensland, of course. Uh, it's a terrific facility. Uh, if you're coming uh, from the airport into Cairns, it's just on your right there and you know, and the mountains in the background, obviously always quite hot and steamy in Cairns, but uh, Lizette Cabrera among a strong contingent of Australian players contesting the Cairns International in Queensland uh, this week. Of course, she's from uh, that neck of the woods. There's a nice little prize pool for uh, uh, this tournament. We know uh, Blake Mott, certainly from a, a male perspective, comes in with some really good form, having won uh, back-to-back in uh, Darwin. So he's trying to really uh, go on a roll. And this week, the Australian Hardcore Championships uh, for the juniors taking place at Westlakes over in uh, SA. So the rising stars of Australian tennis uh, we'll contest the hard courts. We've had uh, the Grass Hardcore Championships, which was in Albury-Wodonga. That was back in January. I was up in Canberra on the clay there for the Clay Court Nationals. Now we're on the hard court of uh, Adelaide. So for competitors in the 14 under and 12 and under age groups, a total of 190 competitors set to challenge for national titles in singles and doubles as well as mixed doubles. So there's plenty of names that we're keeping an eye on and we'll follow that and report back on the show uh, next week. Uh, Brett Learn, Bound for Glory, only song for the game prep. Thank you, Vincent Murder. It's one of the greats, isn't it? You can't go past that. Not sure how many tennis players are listening to uh, a bit of Angry, uh, a bit of Bound for Glory, but that that wouldn't have been bad. If I can just deflect back to the AFL Grand Final, plenty of uh, tennis crowd listening in uh, tonight would have taken in the AFL Grand Final. Everyone thought it was a morgue at uh, halftime. I'd I didn't mind it. We all see the world a little differently, but maybe a bit of angry uh, might have got the crowd. Uh, got a little stirred up uh, after uh, such a, a pulsating uh, first half in the uh, the grand final. Uh, the news in the last week as well about Alicia Mollick, a proud Billie Jean King Cup legacy. After 10 years as Australia's Billie Jean King Cup captain, she will lead the team for one last time at the 2023 finals to be played in Seville, of course, in November. And... What a stalwart she's been, firstly, as a player and then uh, with some you know, success, certainly as a captain, but uh, just been a real stable hand in Australian tennis. We know getting inside the top 10, delightful to deal with Alicia. Uh, the girls have loved playing under her, no doubt, but as she said in the last week, uh, everything does uh, come to an end. I suppose it does pose the question of who is the best person for the job. You might want to weigh in and give us your thoughts on that tonight. one 736 Are they uh, looking at a name, a Sam Stoza? Would Ash Barty do the job, knowing that it's not as big a commitment as it used to be in terms of uh, weeks, having to uh, travel, and she's got a, a young family. Is it a duo set up? Where does Nicole Pratt sort of fit in? She's been the coach. Do they want a sort of figurehead name? to be leading the Billie Jean King Cup squad, previously the Fed Cup. Which way would you lean on uh, on that one to replace Alicia Mollick? one 736 We'll come back with more of the first serve. David McPherson, David Wagner, Eddie Winter, Tony Pye from Paddle Gold Coast. Plenty on the menu on this Monday night.
Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group. Your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back. Uh, great to have your company on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips in the chair. Always great support from our good friends at Yonex. Of course, uh, their Percept 100, their brand new racket. We gave one away on the show a couple of weeks ago. Launched just before the US Open. You can check out that and the full range of Yonex rackets at yonex.com, a work of art. So uh, great supporters of us here on uh, the first serve. In just a moment, David Wagner. I'm going to touch on a, a, a couple of stories bubbling around in more depth on the show uh, next week. I've spent 19 years of my life in another sport at the coalface of running uh, running footy clubs and being involved in uh, lots of politics at sort of grassroots level. And I suppose across the journey of this show, there's been times when the cause has been strong enough for us to challenge, to pose questions, to look at what matters to everyone. Gee, there's a bit bubbling around at the moment. We did report on uh, the firing of Tennis West CEO Brett Patton on the show going back three or four weeks ago, who is looking to launch uh, legal action for unfair dismissal. There is a lot bubbling underneath the surface of that particular story, and I've been fed a lot of information on that as recent as this afternoon. At this stage, I'm not prepared to totally go with it until I investigate a little bit further. I think that's the right course of action, and I don't want this show necessarily to get bogged down with um, you know, the politics of the sport because there's a lot of you out there who probably couldn't give a stuff to be totally honest but there are a lot of you who do care because you are at the coalface you are a player, a coach, administrator uh, you want the best uh, for the sport and the backroom runglings uh, they never cease to amaze me some of the stuff that does go on and so we did touch on that story and that's developing in the background it's also an interesting watch up in Queensland at the moment as a man tries to get onto the Tennis Queensland board for a third time who's got a, a surname that is extremely familiar to all of us and I think you might you might know who I'm talking about. But we'll look into that a little bit more in the next uh, week or so. But David Wagner is our guest on The Push, our dedicated wheelchair podcast. He is a ripper, this guy. He had a fierce rivalry with Dylan Orcott. He does talk about that. He talks about the now 16 draw size at the US Open this year, which they're hoping to carry it over into the other slams. And the 2024 Paralympics actually colliding next year with the US Open. This was David Wagner on uh, with Tim Connolly and Heath Davidson, our very own OAM, earlier today. To see the US Open finally jump on board with that this year and, and, and agree that the yeah, 16 is is what we do for one division. We do for all divisions, uh, men, women, and, and quads. Um, we're all we're all three open divisions, and and it's men open, women open, and quad open. Right? There's not there's not a difference. There shouldn't be a difference. Um, we're held to the same standard on ITF rules and Grand Slam rules. We're all held to the same standard, so we should be all treated the same. And so it was, um, you know, when 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 the announcement came that 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 the U.S. Open went to to 16. You know, it was it felt really good to me because I, I pushed for that. I, I lobbied for that and and um, and they, they listened, you know, and that and that was really great. And I hope it I hope it opens up the uh, the gateway for others 
uh, other slams to see that that it works um, and that equality is is the way we should be in our sport. You know, we want to be equal. Um, and and you know, maybe maybe one day in the future we get to 128 draw in in wheelies. <laughs> that that would be a dream come true, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's a catch 22 because that means there's more disabled people do we really want that who knows right but but the fact that if we had that many numbers and we could we could uh fulfill that we could fill that draw then then it would be you know it'd be awesome so i'm I'm all about pushing pushing the numbers and, and increasing the draw size um and 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 watching the sport and each division grow i mean they only you're only going to get better when you increase draw sizes and have more equality and more more inclusivity uh, to, to allow more people to have the opportunity to play and, and make some money, make a living at it, uh, train harder, travel with coaches, right? Like, like all that does is, is in the long run, improve each division. Um, you know, the, the, our men's division is, is very, uh, very has, has a lot of great players in it. Our women's division has a lot of great players in it. The quad, the quad division is getting there with more and more and more great players moving up the, the rankings, um, and 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 getting involved, and I think that 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 is a direct correlation to the fact that draw sizes in Grand Slams have gone up. We started at four, you know, four quads for the longest time, and if you weren't in that four, it was it was hard as hell to to break into that four. Uh, then we finally got it to eight all across the board, so eight, eight, and eight, and there was equality. And then we lost that for one year, um, and at the U.S. Open, and and now now we're back this this year with sixteen. And the the hope is that 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 inspires and motivates other Grand Slams to to see that it works and and do the same thing. It is great now that we've got sixteen seat, and you were talking about the PR before, and I I think the more players that are playing too, that the more countries that get behind it. Because when I explain to people here about David Wagner or Gordon Reed, you know that you guys are superstars, or Heath um, in your own countries, and and that's how it really does truly grow as well by you know, the greater the participation, the more people that know about it as well. Indeed, yes. So next year, we've got the Paralympics in Paris, um, and that is run at the same time as the US Open. I've had a couple yeah. of chats with the US Open because we don't get to play the US Open next year as the Paralympics trumps the US Open, apparently. I do believe, and I've had chats with people, that if the Olympics is run at the same time as a major, players get compensated because they if they choose to play the Olympics or the Olympics for the Aberbods, they get compensated for not playing the slam. Do you think that us wheelchair players should be able to choose whether to go to a Paralympics or play a Grand Slam? Or do you think that the dates should move or what what's your opinion on that whole whole dilemma that we're going to have next year? Yeah. You know, it's, it's an interesting one, you know, because ever since we got into the U S open, it's been like that. So I believe, I believe we first got into the U S open in 2006 or seven. Um, well, if you go back and you look at, at the U S open, there was no 2008, there was no 2012 and there yeah. was no 2016. Right. So, so this isn't unprecedented. It has happened before now does that mean it's right or we should not try to figure out a way to you know we we still should try to figure out a way to 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 have both um because it it is very important that that we get both in um and it's not 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 just important from a from a financial standpoint from from us 
players who who play it who 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 rely on this as our livelihood and our way our way to continue to play and compete right and earn, earn our prize money but it also is is a is a out of sight out of mind type of thing for the spectators you know if if the spectators show up and and they showed up last year and they were like gosh i i really enjoyed watching that match of gordon and alfie or 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 david and heath right whomever it was right i really enjoyed that match i look forward to watching them again next year and then and then they show up and there is no wheelies and there is no information on as to why the wheelies are gone or you know no 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 understanding for the general public who comes say to watch that that's a opportunity lost that, that they're not able to see so so it, it it does reach deeper than just you know us needing the slams for for making uh making a living but but it does you know to to grow the sport and keep spectators involved and and keep people coming back and wanting to be part of it you know so um from from, from a standpoint of watching and enjoying the the tennis the wheelchair tennis i i'm not aware or i was unaware that if you played the olympics over the Paralympic or the uh, Grand Slams, that you would be some sort of compensation. Um, I mean, sure. I, I mean, I would never turn that down. I think I think it would be great uh, for us. I can understand the the troubles or or the hardships that that could cause. I understand that. And and where do you draw the line? And 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 uh, you know because you you got four wild cards into the Paralympics as opposed to two into the slams and and just who who would get the money and where does it fall and so i mean it's it's interesting so um yeah i mean we we kind of run into the same sort of dilemma as the pair of pan am games for us which is north america versus south america and uh you know not all the top able-bodied americans play in our pair of pan am games uh, and it's not it's not really because there's another event going on it's just they choose not to play that tour stop essentially and that's every four years as well yeah it's it's a tough one i mean i i i would hope that uh you know moving forward we can continue to have an open dialogue with the u.s open and and have it so that you know they understand our our point of view and and we we need to understand their point of view and and understand the paralympics point of view and and understand that like you know at either one of those two events you probably do want the best of the best of the best wheelies to be at both of them somehow some way and uh, it's just an unfortunate situation again that it has fallen at the same time and i feel like there there are some options and some some ways to work around definitely come up with some workarounds and make it still go might not be the most ideal but there are some options and i think we have to i think i think i mean it would be be phenomenal if we could continue and have both paralympics and and i did i did hear and i mean maybe it was you heath that told me but I think in the eight, the Olympics are going to coincide at the same time as Wimbledon. Yeah, that's that, the Olympics. That's, I can't imagine, you know, whomever is playing at Wimbledon at the time, not playing Wimbledon to go play the Olympics in 2028 in LA. But I, I don't know. I mean, my guess is, my guess is on, on a grand scale, they, they would probably try to figure out how to maneuver both and get both on the calendar because that that's big money pit, money stop for both. Paralympic and, and U.S. Open or Wimbledon, I mean, so they, they want the top, top players there because that, that generates a large amount of revenue. Um, so, so I don't know what, what that future holds for that, but you know, I, I, I know that there's been some talks with the U.S. Open and uh, you know, and, and we've, we've got to be open and understanding to their reasoning and, and hope that in return, they're, they're willing to listen to what us as a group have to say. Now I, I know you've, got a great rivalry and friendship with Heath, but 
Prior to Heath coming on the scene, there was another Aussie that you used to have great battles with, Dylan. And tell us about some of your interactions and matches with Dylan. Yeah, we we played a fair bit of matches. And at at the time when Dylan and I battled each other and had this rivalry, you know, it was was in a slam. Oftentimes that we'd play each other. And there was a lot of our tour stops where it was he and I, and, and he'd make the final, I'd make the final. So we'd battle each other through, through, through into the finals. But, but you know, the slams being, being only four players and, and being round Robin, we ended up playing each other twice, right. It, it, at the slam. So if, if we both made the final, we were playing each other in pool play and then, then playing each other again in the finals. So, so the rivalry, it grew quickly because of that, um, where, where you where other, now that we don't have that and, and we're not in round robins at, at all four grand slams, you know, I mean, th- there's a chance that you could go all year and not play the top guy again or whatever. So, so yeah, Dylan and I had, had lots of long rivalries and, and, and when he first came on the scene, you know, we battled and, and had, had some really good matches and, you know, he got the better of me towards the end, end of his, his time. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, is like it's it's players like that who have always presented an issue for me to to have to play. Uh, they're you know they're strong, they're they're fast, they have good hands, good touch, good strokes, right? And I I have to adjust my game to to be able to battle and and fight with those that style of player. So so the reality is 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 it's made my game jump and increase and become a better player myself, you know, and so. And that's kind of the beauty of, of rivalries is is like, you know, you 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 learn from from previous matches and sometimes you don't get the opportunity to play each other again in, in the same year. But he and I certainly did because we we had round robins. So so you know, we were guaranteed to play each other four times a year. Well, five times if you take in the tour finals. So so we were guaranteed that and that's you know, that's pretty rare to, to have a rivalry that guarantees you five times a, a year to play each other in, in our sport. You know, he he uh, he raised some awareness in the sport, did really well for himself, got, got a lot of awareness for himself. You know, it, it's uh, do you miss him on tour? Do I miss him on tour? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't really hang out with a guy on tour, so uh, I can't really say I miss him. You know, I, I miss probably what he brought to to the whole tour as far as like being charismatic, definitely raising awareness in Australia for sure. Raising raising the awareness of of wheelchair tennis down there, and definitely making the most of it for himself. So I mean, we we've got some great players now that that you know I think I think he could struggle with playing these guys now and build a nice rivalry with them as well. So you know it it just it just raised the bar set the standard, and and it's just continued on from there. World number three, American David Wagner on our dedicated wheelchair podcast, The Push. We'll be back to wrap up the hour. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Just on the back of listening to David Wagner, check out The Push. It's on our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Go to the podcast page. Uh, David Wagner, Greg Crump, uh, Gordon Reed, Robert Shaw, the Canadian, have all been special guests really uh, uh, an advocating podcast for wheelchair tennis and taking you uh, inside that space, which is uh, growing all the time. And for the full version, we had a little bit of David there. Uh, Log on to our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Back with a big uh, second hour. We've got uh, plenty to come, including David McPherson, uh, Tony Pye and Eddie Winter, all part of our offering 
in the second hour. one 736 or you can jump on the temper text 0433981116. Anything you want to weigh in too? And there's some good news coming through from Shanghai as well. A lot of Aussies in Masters 1000 qualifying. We'll bring you up to speed with that coming up after uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, stick around. The first serve, your home of tennis. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back, second hour on this uh, Monday night. Brett Phillips uh, with you. Still to come, uh, we're taking you inside our podcast library at uh, the first serve. We're just showcasing a little bit of that tonight. We just heard, of course, from uh, David Wagner, the American, former world number one, six-time major singles winner. He's the current world number three. He's sort of the uh, the older gent of uh, wheelchair uh, action at the moment, 49 years of age. Had a uh, pretty fierce rivalry with uh, David Wagner, uh, with uh, Dylan Alcott. There's probably a lot more he could have said uh, on the push, but he, he kept it. Uh, kept it fairly uh, G-rated, uh, did David. But he's got lots of opinions. He's uh, certainly been around a long time. He's seen a lot and has got a strong voice uh, in the game. So for the full version of that, uh, head to our podcast library. You can check that out at our website, thefirstserve.com.au, or wherever you've subscribed to all our First Serve content, uh, be it Apple, Spotify, Google, whatever uh, podcast uh, platform. We're going to also bring you from our Tassie Talk uh, podcast, David McPherson, uh, long-time successful coach of the Bryan brothers and John Isner in the last few years, who also got to world number 11 in doubles, but he's back in Tassie. He doesn't get back there very often. He and his brother, uh, Paul, who works in the media department of the ATP. Uh, so that, that's a great chat. I wanted to bring you that and uh, that'll feature this hour. And Tony Pye is the head coach of Paddle Gold Coast at KDV Sport as part of our Paddle Power podcast as that continues to grow uh, around Australia, more uh, facilities and centres opening uh, all the time. Uh, AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, they are providing quality coach education right across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. You can inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. A uh, little shout out to Linton Joseph and his team, who are great uh, supporters of uh, the program. It's Masters 1000 where you want to make your mark. And we've got an obviously a number of Australians in the main draw of Shanghai due to the amount of men we've got currently inside the top 100. We've got 10 Aussies in qualifying. It's the biggest I've seen, I think, outside of direct entry into uh, qualies. And we gave you a few results earlier for Dane Sweeney, uh, Mark Polmans, uh, James McCabe, uh, Lee Too, uh, all... Uh, in fact, in fact, I think a couple of these are new results. I did bring you. In fact, I'll just go through the whole lot. There are that many. They're jumping off the page. So Dane Sweeney got through seven six six two. Rinky Hijikata, top seed in qualies, has got through six three six two through the first round. Mark Polman's three six six three seven six. Young James McCabe, who we're following with great interest, the twenty year old from uh, New South Wales, as strong as an ox, uh, six four six seven six three. Uh, Lee two at a Masters 1000, 466463 through the first round of qualifying. James Duckworth has also got through 6463. At the moment, the only casualty has been Omar Jasika, who went down 1657 in qualifying. Uh, Luke Seville is out on court at the moment. Up against Sumit Nagal, the Indian who's 
uh, eight seed here. He's the number one ranked Indian player. In fact, made the headlines a couple of weeks ago, really uh, telling his story in a public forum about uh, just how much money or how much uh, money he's not making uh, from the tour. And as a result of going public, he actually got a couple of sponsors uh, on board. And you would think, uh, this is a country, obviously, with a huge population, but tennis obviously doesn't have the same uh, adulation and prominence as cricket and and hockey, which is big, obviously, in India. But uh, Sumit is uh, trying to carve a living. But uh, Luke Seville at the moment, 6-3 in the opening set of that qualifying match. And we've still got Alex Bolden, also Phil Sekulic uh, to come. So hopefully a few Aussies can... Uh, get through a couple of rounds of qualifying and get into the main draw to join our pretty strong uh, Aussie contingent at, uh, at this stage. I want to bring you a little bit of uh, David McPherson. He's a star. We had him on the program a number of years ago. In fact, uh, I think I spoke to him when I was at the uh, the US Open from Launceston. Uh, grew up uh, playing his tennis there. He's uh, sat down to have a chat with Rick Fontaine, who's the host of our uh, Tassie Talk uh, podcast, one of our state podcasts he doesn't get home too often, like a lot of the Australians, so whether you're a player or a coach, and you just cherish those little windows, you can come back home. His mum, I think he's about 90 years of age, who has had a, also an involvement in tennis uh, down in Tasmania. But he touches a bit on his playing career, uh, coaching the Bryans and how that came about, and then John Isner, and also coaching Roger Federer for a very small period. This was David McPherson with Rick Fontaine, part of our Tassie Talk podcast. Your career obviously flourished, particularly in your doubles career, the highest ranking of number 11 in the world. You won 16 titles and also a, a semi-final at the Australian Open back in 98 where you were beaten by the Woodies, I think, uh, in, in that particular year. But what, what were your memories of, of particularly playing at your, your home Australian Open, but life on the international tour? Yeah, that Aussie Open was, uh, gosh, that was the, my best result at a Grand Slam to make the semis with David Wheaton, who I think I was just a pickup team. I, I was very lucky to play with him. He was a top 10 singles player. I don't know why he wanted to play doubles with me, but uh, we had some great wins and uh, I lost to the Woodies probably for the 22nd time of my career in the semis. Indian Wells of 92 was one of my fondest memories. My partner Steve DeVries and I were able to win that, so... And that's become such an iconic tournament. So it's sort of nice to see your name on the board or whatever at Indian Wells. You know, gosh, you won that, Macca? <laughs> John used to t- make fun of me, John Isner. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I played a fair game back in the day. <laughs> what was life like on the tour? Because, as you said, little boys, little girls, they dream of doing it. What was it like being on the tour? Well, it was a tough slog because I, I didn't end up being anywhere near as good as I thought I was going to be. When I was a junior, I was... Uh, successful but of course uh, you get out there in the big pond and it was a tough slog I didn't do very well in singles but fortunately I found uh, my home on the doubles tour after that once I'd established myself in the top 20 or 30 in in the world in doubles it was a great life I mean you know playing all the big tournaments and all the grand slams and had three or four really enjoyable partnerships with different blokes so um, yeah but I, I didn't play by today's standards, that long. I retired at age 35 and um, just to be home with my two daughters and, uh, yeah, just got into coaching after that. That transition into into coaching, you coached from 2005 until COVID, the greatest doubles pair of all time in, in Mike and Bob Bryan. How did that come about? Well, I'd played them four times. They actually put me out in my last Wimbledon. Andrew Florent and I lost to them in the quarters of 
Wimbledon in 2002 and then I became a, just a coach in my home city of Sarasota where we were raising the kids. But then there's a thing called World Team Tennis that uh, used to be played every July. And so even though I'd retired from the regular tour, I was still a member of the Kansas City team, the Kansas City team of the explorers we were and uh so i was playing doubles and mike and bob were our marquee players so that's where you know top players like the williams sisters or the brian brothers would come in for a team and play for a couple of matches so i rode the pine while they were playing and uh, i just remember we had a rain delay in st louis one night and they were down a break to ehrlich and ram and uh, they came in they were a bit frustrated and i just sort of had noticed something so I said to him oh Mike you got to hit some returns down the line there you know they're on the cross court you know the whole time and and I guess that must have worked that particular night and they came back and got a win and next thing you know their dad's coming up to me on the flight the next day and saying you know would you be interested in traveling with Mike and Bob for a few weeks through the US Open of 2005 and I was like oh absolutely let's give it a go and of course they won their first US Open that year so we were off and running right away. It's incredible how things work sometimes isn't it just that little bit of advice and then uh, on a flight so dad comes down the aisle and says hey David we picked up something. It was just it was just meant to be I suppose Mm. they had already established themselves as the top or the the top two teams in the world but they'd lost all three Grand Slam finals uh, that year the finals of the Aussie the finals Mm. of the French the finals of Wimbledon so they had a bit of a gorilla on their back in that respect. So you can imagine how nervous I was when they did get through to the finals of the US Open of 2005 and I wanted to, you know, try and help make a difference to get them over the hump and uh, just everything that day worked out to perfection. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and then after that they had so much confidence in Grand Slam finals. They went and won the Australian Open final right after that and their first Wimbledon the next year. So, yeah, they were they were obviously ups and downs and... Trials and tribulations, but overall, they were just incredible. They were so clutch, and and, and they won so many, much more than they lost. They did indeed. Probably don't like to uh, to pump yourself up too much, so I'm going to read a quote. I actually saw this in uh, Dennis Tucker's tennis museum, actually, with uh, something up there. But this is from the Bryants, a quote from them: "Thanks for always being there for us, Macca. Without you, there'd be no slams, no records, and definitely no gold." Referring to the Olympics in in London, it's been an incredible ride. That is quite something to come from them to uh, with with how they held you and and saw you for what you have done for for their career you must be incredibly proud it was so close still so it's really nice (laughs) when you're in the thick of it of course uh they were such intense competitors gosh I mean every day you know you had to bring your game face to the courts because they were so intense they'd be the equivalent of perhaps how Novak is now uh where they winning was everything so but at the end of the day um you know we're lifelong friends and uh, they appreciated that I tried to match their intensity as best I could like I really took a lot of pride in studying as hard as I could for the opponents and just making sure that every practice I was totally switched on and uh, of course they would have they would have done amazing things without me they'd obviously being nice there but uh, I think that uh, yeah I am proud that I was able to be worthy of their loyalty for 15 years for sure. Now another significant moment uh, almost nine years ago now it's hard to believe but 
You were asked by Switzerland to to help them seeking their very first Davis Cup final title over France in France. How did that come about? Because obviously you had a significant role to play in a critical tie between obviously Vavrinka and and Roger against uh, Beneteau and Gasquet, which uh, the Swiss won in straight sets. But how did the role come about, firstly? Oh, just another little mini miracle. Uh, I think Roger was coming out to practice on a court that Mike and Bob and I just finished up on and Seve, the Swiss coach and his coach just sort of said, oh, I'd like to pick your brain, Macca, about the possibility of the doubles point. And I think it was Mike just piped up and said, oh, you should take him to the tie. And so Seve looked at me and he said, well, is that a possibility? And I was like, well, if Roger would like me to, I, I'm not, of course. I mean, whatever Roger wants, uh, that would be, of course, great with me. And so Seve must have taken it to Rog that night. And Rog, because that actually he and Stan had had a tough year in doubles. They'd lost all their doubles ties that year. Amazingly, they'd lost mm. all three despite winning all the singles. So I think that just, it was a little miracle. They wanted a little um, guidance on the doubles point. And uh, so it all just happened very organically. Two weeks before, uh, that was at the Paris Indoor. We firmed yes. things up at the World Tour Finals. And then when Roger uh, and Stan and Seve finished up in London at the World Tour Finals, I got on a train with Seve and Stan and uh, went over to France on the, on the channel. What was that moment like? Because obviously for Switzerland, it was a great moment in their tennis history as a nation. What was that moment like? I suppose I was as nervous before that match as any match, perhaps alongside the gold medal game for Mike and Bob, just not wanting to let anyone down. So the feeling when they played so well and they won convincingly was more just of relief than than euphoria. It was just like, thank God I didn't let Roger down. <laughs> and uh, I've got a great memory of him being so bubbly and excited after the match, just uh, in the locker room, mm. uh, you know, I think we, he just came in and, you know, everyone was just having a shower and, uh, you know, just winding down and he was like, oh, he goes, I never realised doubles could be so strategical or something like that, you know, because everything that we sort of talked about for the tactics sort of fell into place. And just to have, you know, Roger Federer be so bubbly and sort of like grateful was just amazing. I can still, you know, hear him saying that was sort of such joy in his voice. So that was pretty cool. Absolutely. With the coaching, transitioned obviously into a, a, a few years with, with John Isner as well, who's just recently retired, of course, after the after the US Open. Did you enjoy that role? And I guess the, the difference strategically from uh, doubles and dealing with someone who's, who's had such a successful singles career, particularly in the, I guess, the latter stages of his career as well. A lot of people remember that uh, incredible Wimbledon singles match with uh, Mahout, but in terms of where John's game went to, really seemed to lift him a lot in the period that you were with him. It was a little bit of an adjustment, uh, singles and doubles, such different uh, games tactically, but uh, yeah, we, we bonded, you know, we've become lifelong friends too, we were a great fit for each other, I think, with our personalities, so much in common, and then I was, especially in 2018, able to get a lot out of him, uh, winning Miami over Sasha in the finals, and uh, beating Del Potro in the semis, uh, that was two incredible matches that he played in Miami to win that Master Series because as we know you know normally only the great players win these Master Series so that was a big moment in John's life and then semis of Wimbledon even though it ended in such pain I think losing 26-24 to Kevin Anderson run to the semi-finals and the match itself was pretty extraordinary so yeah no that my time with John was you know, full of just um, 
enjoyment and um, you know much different to Mike and Bob. Mike and Bob were obviously uh, the greatest uh, and so intense every day. John a little bit more laid back, a very fierce competitor when it was time to play, very fierce, but uh, a little bit less fixated with the details that Mike and Bob were each day in practice. So it was a really amazing seven years or whatever. So that is the voice of David McPherson. Hails from Tasmania, but he's really made his name, first of all, as a player, uh, getting to uh, world number 11 in doubles and winning a lot of titles, but really has made his name as a coach and he's uh, developed a magnificent synergy with three Americans who will go down in history as three of the finest players to come from that country. A doubles pairing in the Bryans and John Isner, who uh, had um, such a consistent career, uh, obviously inside the top 10 at one stage, but consistently in the top 20 for the best part of a decade plus. And yes, that uh, unbelievable match against Nicholas Mahu at Wimbledon that went three days. And of course, he made the semis a few years on uh, from that particular match. But uh, David McPherson does have a, a tennis setup. He's coaching in uh, Las Vegas, and I'm sure he'll be in demand for someone on the tour, but he's come back after the US Open with John finishing his career to spend some time at home back in Tassie to listen to the full chat and his brother Paul McPherson, who does work for the ATP uh, based in Florida, so the McPhersons are traversing the globe. Uh, head to the podcast section of our website, Tassie talk. Uh, we have the SA scene and for those up in Queensland in the month of October, we're going to uh, release a Queensland dedicated podcast as well with all uh, the news uh, coming out of each state. That is our aim across the journey to have each state uh, certainly uh, represented. Uh, Josh Harriet has written a terrific article on our website today, thefirstserve.com.au. He wanted to have, he wanted to have opportunity and to be recognised. Uh, that is uh, the quote from uh, Judy Dalton, of course, one of the original nine who uh, paved the way for equality in sport and for women to be put on a much bigger pedestal. And it's been more than just tennis. So have a read of that particular uh, article. Okay, we're going to come back after the break, uh, have a listen to Tony Pye, uh, Paddle Gold Coast head coach, and also Eddie Winter as part of our college segment to come here on The First Serve. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group. Your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Just checking in on Luke Seville, looking good. Uh, first round qualifying Shanghai 6-3-3-2 at the moment. A lot of Aussies in qualifying today. So Sweeney, Hedgicata, Polmans, McCabe, two. And Duckworth all through to the second round. And uh, Sekulich and Bolt to come. But uh, Luke looking pretty good up against Sumit Nagel, the Indian eighth seed. Well, Paddle Powwow is one of our podcast offerings. We know that the Paddle venues around Australia are growing all the time. Here in Melbourne, of course, game for Paddle down there at the Docklands. A beautiful uh, setting. Get down and have a, have a hit. Uh, it'll give you a good workout, that is for sure. We know it's massive in Europe, in uh, South America. Uh, growing here in Australia. Tony Pye hails from uh, Barcelona. He's come out to Australia to be part of Paddle Gold Coast up at KDV Sport who have uh, set things up beautifully. They had a recent event on the uh, Australian uh, Paddle Tour and uh, Tony catching up with hosts uh, Matt Burrell and Matt Levy just to talk about uh, the development of Paddle in this country and what our Australian players need to do to uh, elevate themselves across the globe in terms of their level. 
Thank you for having me here. Thank you for being with us in Bali. We've had a great time so far and you've made plenty of friends being uh, with us in such a short time. I suppose today having you on the show, it's a great opportunity to pick your brain about lots of different things that um, we spoke about earlier. But I suppose maybe to start with, let's talk about the different levels between Paddle in Australia and Paddle in Spain. What have you noticed? Well, basically the first thing is that we have thousands of more players so that makes all the levels split more so we have more levels um also the the high level of the top people it's really 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 tops people that they are training every day fitness uh with psychologists nutritionists so it's like a proper professional uh, people with professional coaches also and yeah, well, that will be the main difference in with the with the levels. Maybe with the lower level, quite uh, similar. But I have to say that uh, here in Australia, the lower level always uh, all the people have racket skills, so it's like easy to uh, start in this sport when you are a beginner. Would that be because Tony in Australia we've got a big tennis tradition, or it's because it's an outdoor country and we love, just love our sport? I think it's a big, big uh, tennis tradition here or racket tradition. That's why like, all the people have minimum of racket uh, skills. Right, and we've got natural athleticism. I think Australians generally as well. <laughs> Would that be a fair comment? Oh, what's that? Sorry, I was no. going to ask you also, Tony. How did your paddle journey start? I know you're born with a paddle racket when you're about naught years old, but eventually you uh, you grew up and you played some other sports. Or was paddle your first love? Well, I just started as mostly of the people here in tennis when I was really, really uh, young, like five years old. I started playing tennis. Have like competition in in my blood, not as a super good player, but I really like it. I have like my competitions, and when I went to a decent level, then is when I start stopping. I take my time to, with another sport like soccer, basketball, and then one day, just my mom invite me to a paddle match. And what's this? What's this? Oh, this is very fun! Volleys, going fast everywhere, running everywhere, and well, that day, just I discover that it was my sport. And how old were you, do you think? That, that How old roughly were you? Uh, I was 18. 18. 18. Ah, okay. Yeah. Now there's, I'm 29. There's hope for us yet, Matty. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're in the same boat doing that transition from tennis to paddle. I didn't realise you were so old when you made the made the transition. That's Yeah, that has given me hope. <laughs> well, yeah, I have to say that paddle has that special thing that everyone can play. doesn't matter the age, doesn't matter the whatever. You just need motivation good people in in your environment and a lot of hours i have to say yeah hours on court <laughs> was on court can't beat that yeah. um so we spoke earlier in the show about our challenge as australians getting access to good coaches such as yourself what was your journey and how did you arrive at the gold coast you know like obviously we all know you now but there's always a story behind how did you get here how did you and ross sort of spark up that negotiation and end up being the head coach at, at gold coast well i was like for 10 or oh no, 11 years in barcelona as a coach i really like it but you know when you're young and you want to see the world you see let's change a little bit and well i have to say that don't want to sound arrogant, but when I when I decide to go out of Spain, there's like opportunities everywhere. I like remember like Italy, Sweden, Bali, I don't know, like Saudi Arabia. And well, I, I used to have like a super offer in the in Dubai, like very, very like they, they are going very strong for this sport. 
and I was already going to sign for, for Dubai. And yes, I saw in Instagram um, a coach hire uh, from Pavel Golkost. And I have to say, my girlfriend uh, just tell me, Australia? Let's see Australia. It's Australia. <laughs> and well, just I have a meeting with, with Roscoe. And I have to say that it was a really good scene between us. Like yeah. We start talking, talking the same language. He really loves the sport and has like really ambitious program on the Gold Coast. On, yeah, at sorry, KDB. On the club at KDB at the Gold Coast. I think like it was straight to there and happy now. Very yeah, happy. definitely. You guys have a connection. People, the listeners who haven't seen Ross and Tony play, it's like they've played together for years. They're, they're great to watch. I feel like, yeah, it's been a great move for you and certainly been embraced by the Aussie paddle community, hence sitting here with us today in Bali. So good move overall, do you think? I'm very, very happy. And just not only in the Gold Coast, just now in Bali with spending people from literally the other side of the world is really enjoyable. I'm very happy just to meet more people. And Maddie, I know you, but now I meet you more. You heard about this paddle power two Maddies and yeah, yeah wasn't like sure which, Maddie, which, Maddie, which Maddie was which yeah exactly so we'll get the autographs going later <laughs> you, that's, that's fine <laughs> yeah, yeah. and Ross Taylor does have a good chat on him that's for sure I want to throw that in early Roscoe Taylor has some great chat and good recruitment um, skills he's built a really good team a really good business there at, uh, at Palo Gold Coast and I have to say the vibe at that club would be probably the top club around in terms of vibes I'm saying this in front of Maddie yeah, from from uh, Game for Paddle Docklands there as well, but um, absolute great vibe. And Tony fits into that vibe perfectly. So it's good. Before we let Tony go, one last question. What is the future for us Australians to move our level up? Like how do we get the next generation of players started into paddle? Because at the moment, it's mostly, as you say, tennis players who maybe are over 18. You know, what's happening in Spain right now for the juniors and, and what can you see that we can put into place to get that pathway going for Australia? I think the first thing that we need, and I think you're going to like be in the same position as me. First, we need more courts, more clubs, mm. and then like paddle will be more visual for everyone yeah, for more point. people for me his sons and then like we'll start building that big community that is in spain like in spain you talk with anyone and anyone knows paddle or have played paddle before or his cousin is a very good player or we have like have to create that big community starting for for having more courts for more clubs for sure and a, a, probably a good example of the future of Australian Padel would be Mr. Hamilton, Tommy. Oh, um, yes. Glenn's son over there who comes from tennis. Very good listener. Very good discipline. Lovely young guy over here for this trip with us now. He's a good example of a, a junior Aussie you can help. Next generation. Convert across next generation. Give me a quick snapshot. To, you've been working with Tommy for couple of months now, would you say? Yeah, well, it's one of the first persons that he came to me and he said me like, hey, Tony, what I should do to play properly this sport? And for, you know, as a coach, it's like, what you want to hear? Just tell me, let's start training twice per week. Let's organize um, like matches. We should play like minimum four times per week if you want to play really, really good. And he's doing now, I think, now we are watching Tommy playing in here in Bali and good level has increased his level. It's what we need He's a great guy. He's a great listener. His discipline in the court is really, really at the top. He is, yeah. yeah nice also, I wanted to uh, 
give a shout out also to Roscoe Taylor at KDV. They're doing it at Paddle Gold Coast at KDV. You guys are opening up two more courts now, which Roscoe said we could announce out today, which is great. And that shows the demand going the right direction. And that's happening across the board now with the extra courts in Sydney going in. Some Brisbane clubs coming on the horizon right now. And two more courts at Paddle Gold Coast, which will be make that a six court club, which is a, towards a mega club mentality. And that's going to be a bigger and better club for you guys to administer that together. For sure. Like we are very, very happy to to announce that we are going to have two more courts, what means more activities. We announced it yet, like we are going to create our Paddle Gold Coast League with the amount of players that they already ask for starting there. And but well, it's just the beginning, building a new academy, starting with the kids' academy that we are going to focus on that. That it's like the base around that you can start building like everything so yeah very happy to, to have that the very clever part of roscoe and yourself building the vibe there at, um paddle gold coast was having that purpose-built clubhouse container put in there where you'll find roscoe and maybe tony after hours sinking a few beers there um, sure. on the way through so that helps contribute to the vibe they've got a purpose-built clubhouse and a really great vibe there to spend some time so with the extra courts that's extra beer sales as well I'm oh, sure. gets the uh club going any further but tony thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat today and thanks thank you very much thanks tony see you later Tony Pye, part of our Pedal Power podcast that rounds out just a little sample of a few of our podcasts that have dropped over the last uh, few days. But we have 10 in total, apart from this show every Monday night, which you can uh, catch up if you do miss us live. Aussies only, Play USA, The Grind, Crunching the Numbers, Match of My Career, The SAC, Pedal Power, The Push, The Junior Journey, and Tassie Talk with uh, Queensland to be represented this month as well. So there's a big library there, uh, plenty of great interviews and chats with all our team, chatting to those at the coalface of uh, tennis. So you can pick and choose uh, what you like to listen to. We'll come back with our weekly college segment tonight featuring special guest Eddie Winter. Ship has something to suit every lifestyle. For the ultimate test drive location, head to Peninsula Skoda. LMCT one two three double six. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Quick one off the text, please stop patronising Australian tennis players. We are not silly. You'll have to explain further. I have no idea what you're talking about on the temper text, but please elaborate if you wish, and I'll answer. I always hand the reins over about this time of the show to our man Lockie Puel, who's on the gram with our weekly college segment. Lockie, over to you with a very uh, special guest. Thanks, Brett. On our college segment tonight, we catch up with Eddie Winter. He's 19 years of age from Adelaide. Now, Eddie has just started his freshman year at Pepperdine University. Pepperdine is in Malibu, just north of uh, Los Angeles. Great uh, beach and oceanside views. I'm sure Eddie has been enjoying that since he's been uh, over at Pepperdine. He enters uh, the ITA D1 freshman newcomer rankings at number five. So all of the new freshmen, the first years coming into college, he's fifth on that list. So we are expecting a lot out of Eddie. His top 600 ATP, he's played his fair share of ITFs and challenges this year before going over to college. He even played the AO Qualies at the start of the year. He played uh, the Adelaide 250 partnering John Millman. So he's had a pretty great start to the year in terms of the uh, ITFs and challenges and uh, playing uh, on the tour. Now he makes his way over to college. He's currently 
playing the ITA Men's All-American in Tulsa. So this is the biggest tournament in collegiate uh, tennis for the fall season. They have a pre-qualies, a qualies, and a main draw. So in pre-qualifying, there are 256 players. And out of the 256, 16 qualies will enter a qualifying draw of 128 players. And then, of course, the main draw, receiving 16 of those qualifiers, uh, making up a 64 main draw. They've also got the doubles draw as well with a 64 qualifying draw and then a a main draw of 32, taking eight qualifiers. They've had previous winners of last year was Ethan Quinn, who won the NCAAs. He played at Georgia. And then, of course, Ben Shelton in 2022. So many strong players have come through uh, that tournament who have made their way onto the ATP Tour. We're now going to uh, turn you over to our chat with Eddie Winter. The first reason I, I really love my my visit to Pepperdine, I, I got along really well with the coaches, Adam and Tass. Like I've I've placed a lot of trust in them, and um, I really do trust their their coaching styles and, and techniques. And um, yeah, I just really felt. I remember the word sort of once I left Pepperdine, I was I really left here feeling inspired. To be honest, like I just felt motivated to to come here, and um, yeah, so that's why I sort of from there. And I mean the the college path in general, I I mean it's something I I want to experience, something I want to do. I feel like there's a lot of areas of my game that I can t- can continue to develop. And um, I feel like this is the perfect place to do that. Adam and Tass are, are very supportive of that. And so I think that, you know, they're the main reason I came to Pepperdine. Um, obviously the location is not bad either, but definitely the coaches and the, the organization is the, is the main reason and the culture surrounding here is the main reason I, I chose Pepperdine. And being top 600 ATP and you've played your fair share of ITFs and challenger tournaments. I mean, you played with John Millman at the Adelaide 250 at the start of this year. I mean, if you shut your eyes and, and ask the question, you know, what does the ITF and the challenger tour need to have for players not to go down the college pathway? Because now I feel like the college pathway is becoming the more popular route for challenger and ITF players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and no, I've definitely played my sort of fair share over the last, since I finished up juniors sort of late last year, um, definitely, definitely played my fair share of tournaments. And yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's awesome to see so many guys going down the college pathway because I mean, um, even from, from all sort of different levels, I think it's great to sort of keep people in the sport, but then it's also from a, like a high performance perspective. I mean, there's so many resources here. Um, so many great people that have been around the sport for a long time, uh, experienced it firsthand, worked with players that have, that have, uh, you know, been through the, through the pro circuits and everything like that. So I think it's just, almost experience in the resources and it's it's definitely a different environment like i mean being being a part of a team is i uh, probably the thing i've been enjoying most so far about my time here um you know being when you when you're working hard you're with six to ten other guys and you're all supporting each other cheering each other on um you know competitive with each other and because of course you don't want to lose to each other but um you know in a nice way that sort of pushes you pushes pushes everyone forward i guess um so i think that's definitely something that the challenger tour and itf tour doesn't have is that sort of team environment a lot of people are out there just you know sort of for themselves which is i mean it's an individual sport that's how it is but um the the great thing about college is you you're with again six to ten other guys and um you're all sort of battling in the trenches together and i think i think that's the most amazing part about it to be honest and just take us through the campus what does the whole campus look like and you've been there for five six weeks you know training day yeah. in day out but just give us a whole feel for yeah. our listeners back home yeah, I mean, Pepperdine's pretty amazing, to be honest, in terms of the location and the um, sort of gist of the campus. Like, I mean, it's, so it's located in Malibu. 
Um, so you basically got unobstructed ocean views um, of the Pacific Ocean throughout the whole campus, which is cool. You're sort of looking out the window of one of your your classrooms or whatever, and you're just seeing the Pacific Ocean, which isn't bad. And yeah, I mean, the the other nice thing about here is it's everything's really close. Like um, the courts, for, so where I live, uh, I'm just up up the stairs from the courts, and then most of my classes are next to that, and the cafeteria is right there. And um, so it's a really at Pepperdine being a smaller school, I like is in you know, not having tens of thousands of students. It's a really, really nice community feel. So you're often, uh, you know, you're just walking by and you're seeing familiar faces. You know the people from your classes. You know your profess as well. And um, But as far as the campus goes, I mean, uh, unbelievable tennis tennis facility. Like, uh, I think it's 12. Uh, not exactly sure how many courts we've got, but really nice courts. Um, gym facilities are great. And it's a lot of outdoor space as well because the weather's, weather's always nice in California. So, um, yeah, they utilize a lot of, lot of outdoor space. And in terms of your training structures, what does that look like from a tennis perspective, a strength and conditioning uh, perspective, and of course, um, integrating your classes in as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the and again, another reason why I sort of chose Pepperdine was the the um, individuality of the program. Like the coaches uh, tend to focus a lot on the individuals developing the individuals, and then that in turn sort of helps helps the team a lot. So for for me, for example, my training schedule at the moment is I have four to five sort of individuals with the coaches each week. Those are normally in the mornings. So let's say uh, I might start sort of 8.30, 8.45, and then that goes through to 9.45. I'll um, sort of have a quick shower um, and then get up to class. I mean, that's the great thing is I finish on court 9.45, 9.50, and I'm in class by 10 because um, everything's so close. So it's so it's great. Yeah, so I... I my schedule is that I have classes from 10 to 1.30 each day. And then we go back out for team practice. Team practice is awesome. A lot of energy. Everyone gets into it really, really high intensity, which is great. And we do that from 2.30 to 4.30. And then 4.30 to 5.30 each day, we've got sort of a team conditioning or lift or um, whatever that, that'll sort of look like with our um, strength and conditioning coach, Chris. And that's sort of the days. Yeah, they, they work out well. Maybe some study in the evenings as well. And um, yeah, no, that's how that works. With all these uh, schedules, put in place for you i mean it really makes you more accountable compared to if you're going to do this on your own if you were back in adelaide or or traveling over in europe or in the states you know as an individual you've been there for about five or six weeks what do you feel like as a freshman you've really just taken out of the college experience in such a short amount of time yeah definitely definitely the team aspect is is uh one thing about it and i think the accountability as you touched on there is is such a big part of it like you know even even in team practices and say for example you know, some guys might be, I mean, everyone's feeling different each day. Some guys might be slightly less energized, others really, really hyped up. And I think that's, it almost like evens out amongst the team. And so when some guys are down, you know, uh, other guys can sort of bring them up and, and it really lifts the the whole level of the team, I think. And so that's, that's the thing that I've been soaking up a lot, you know, just learning how to encourage others, um, try and be a leader where I can. And yeah, that's, that's definitely one thing that works. And, and the accountability as well from guys when, you know, guys sort of step up and, and need to call each other out when the standards aren't there or um, however that works. So um, I think that's been a big part of it as well. And fall schedule, Malibu showdown, followed by the ITA All-American in Tulsa. What are your thoughts going into those fall tournaments? And do, do you think you'll play against any of the other Aussies, uh, Jeremy Jin, who's at Florida or... Uh, Derek Pham, who we just spoke to at OSU. Yeah, no, good question. Um, I mean, so this Malibu showdown is is sort of us, uh, Kentucky, Michigan, and Louisville. Um, it's really awesome. Like it's a dual dual format, so it's it's in our teams, and um, that starts this Friday. I'm really looking forward to that. I I can't wait to get out there and uh, battle with all the guys. Um, so I'm really looking forward to experiencing that, like 
college dual match, basically. Yeah, I mean, I guess the chance that I might get to sort of play Jeremy or Derek would be in in Tulsa in the um, All-Americans, I believe it's called. So, yeah, no, that'll be good as well. I mean, I, I've heard it's a massive tournament, uh, pre-qualifying, qualifying, uh, major or just massive tournaments. So I'm really looking forward to, to traveling with, with most of the team and uh, giving, that, giving that a crack. Well, we're looking forward to catching up with all of the Aussies following their journeys. And it's pretty exciting, you know, yourself being ranked number five in the ITA D1 freshman newcomer rankings. And of course, Jeremy uh, Jin and also Derek Pham being in that top 10 list. So we look forward to following your journey. We'll have that all over our socials. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the college segment. Looking forward to catching up with you soon. No, thanks a lot for having me on. Great catching up with Eddie. Uh, he's one of many Aussies playing in the ITA All-American Championships in Tulsa. It's the biggest tournament in the fall in Division One tennis. So whether you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or X, we will be posting highlights and results all over our social media platforms. Uh, you can also subscribe to our podcasting platforms. However, you listen to your podcasts. Play USA is one of our dedicated podcasts here at the First Serve, Episode 9 will be released this week. We catch up with David Hodge. He's the director of Aussie Athletes Agency. We go through the ins and outs of college tennis. So that is definitely a must listen, whether you're a player, whether you're a coach or a parent, some valuable information on the college pathway. We also catch up with Violet Apiza. She's the number one uh, NAIA uh, ranked female player. She's from Sydney. She just represented Papua New Guinea in the Billie Jean King Cup over the U.S. summer. So some great insights from Violet and her journey going down the NAIA pathway, a different pathway to Division One, but of course a very, very strong standard as well. That is a wrap for, uh, for our college segment this week, Brett. Next week we uh, chat to David Mullins, the Chief Operating Officer at the ITA, where we talk about the, the newly developed uh, partnership between the ITA and the ITF and also the WTA giving... Uh, players who finished in the top five in the NCAA women's rankings, an opportunity to play and get wild cards into ITF and WTA tournaments. It's back over to you, Brett. Thank you, Locke. Uh, very nicely done with our college segment and uh, always a must listen. And uh, we'll do it again uh, next uh, Monday night. And as uh, Lachlan mentioned, play USA. That will drop around about Thursday this week. Uh, catching up with uh, more of our Australians and uh, David Hodge, who is uh, synonymous with the Aussie Athletes Agency. We'll be back to wrap up the show. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back. Uh, we ran out the show on this uh, Monday night. A couple of hours comes and goes uh, pretty quickly. Of course, you can uh, check out our website during the week, thefirstserve.com.au. Uh, some great articles going up uh, by our team. Surface development, how can we produce better Aussie players? Uh, dollars uh, in development, uh, a coaching angle there. Some of the latest uh, articles that have uh, gone up. Uh, we have caught up with uh, Taylor Preston. Uh, which will uh, post uh, tomorrow an exclusive chat with the young uh, 17-year-old Western Australian who is uh, on the rise. We had her on the show earlier this year when she won in Monastir for the very uh, first time on the ITF Tour, won recently in her native uh, Perth, and uh, Christian Monaghan has caught up with uh, uh, Taylor. So that chat will feature amongst um, many other uh, featured chats uh, coming up uh, throughout uh, the month. 
Uh, you can also uh, log on and check out our podcasts, as I've mentioned. And, of course, any shows that you miss on a Monday night, everything is archived at thefirstserve.com.au or wherever you uh, get your podcast. You can go back right throughout the year and many years before. We've been going a long time uh, doing uh, this particular show. Uh, good results in Shanghai. Uh, we've been going through those over the last uh, couple of hours. The Aussies looking to shine in qualifying. So Dane Sweeney, Rinky Hidjikata, Mark Polmans, James McCabe, Lee Two, Luke Saville and James Duckworth at this stage all through to the second round of uh, qualifying at a Masters 1000 event. And at the moment, uh, Phil Sekulich has just held serve. He's just got his match underway and Alex Bolt is on court, on serve 2-1 at the moment. So you can follow uh, those scores wherever you get your tennis scores and there are many uh, platforms uh, for that. So hoping to have a good week in Shanghai and for our Aussies also in the main draw. We'll do it again next Monday night. We're through to the end of November. Of course, the tennis season goes all the way through, as we know, the uh, sport with the shortest off-season of any sport that we know. But uh, we're delighted to bring you the world of tennis from uh, every angle, domestic, abroad, from the juniors all the way through to the pros. In fact, our Junior Journey podcast, another edition, will drop uh, later this week for those of you invested in that space. Thanks to Yonex and AATC. The first serve, catch you next Monday, 8 o'clock.